0: Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. All right, we've had a few moments of quiet today. We started our service with it. Elizabeth led us in a moment of stillness around her generosity. I want to lead us in one more. Uh, we're told in the scriptures, we're invited by God through the psalmist to be still and know that he is God. We see time and again, there are moments where God speaks, right? Not through the rushing wind, or the fire, or the thunder, or the noise, but through the quiet and the stillness. And so many of us in the hurry of our age, in the rushing of our age, man, I think a lot of us, I do at least struggle being still. And so before we open up the scriptures, before we open up this book that um, most of us in this room, I hope, who are followers of Jesus, prize this as the most valuable thing that we have in our possession, more than anything else, the word of God. Something that we want to place ourselves not over, but under, and to learn from, that there's a sacredness and there's an expectancy. We can, I, I was thinking the other day about um, how when I would get messages from my wife when we were dating, I would have this um, temptation to read over her letters and her, or they weren't letters, but I like to imagine in my head the romantic in me as she sent letters with little wax seals and burned the edges. <laughs> it was an email. But I would just pour over them. Anybody else like this? I would just like, what does she mean? What does she mean by like, by like, dear Andrew? Like, she called me dear. Or like, she's praying for me. Like, is she praying? Like, is this like, she'd be my future husband? I'd be her future husband? Or like, just praying in general, right? I would just like soak in it and marinate on it. Not because like, there's something magical about her notes and letters, but because I freaking love the author so much. And so for a lot of us here, we just love the author. And so something about stilling our hearts allows us to enter in. Amen? Just to go, all right, Lord, I wanna lean in. Whatever you got, I'm expecting for it. Whether it challenges me, encourages me, disrupts me a bit, invites me to wrestle with it longer, the sermon just starts the conversation, doesn't end it. So let's just be still for just a moment, if you would. We hear you, Lord, through the psalmist. Be still. and no that he is God. Just stand for the reading of the word. First Peter four be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Matthew 26:41 Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Mark 13:33 Be on guard be alert you do not know when the time will come. Mark 13, 35, therefore stay awake for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Luke twelve thirty seven. it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the tables and will come and wait on them. Luke 21, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all things that are going to take place. First Corinthians sixteen thirteen, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Colossians four two. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. First Thessalonians five six. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. First Peter five eight. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I got more, marble in there. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Be alert. Keep watch. Can I show you a picture really quick? This is a picture of a machete. Does anyone own a machete? A few of you. Does anyone have that machete underneath their bed? A <laughs> <laughs> few years ago, a few years ago, um, I was having a conversation with one of our elders, Tony Jean-Baptiste. <laughs> and uh, I don't remember the entire conversation, but we were talking about like, you know, since we got married and, you know, have family and a house, like this idea of if someone were to break in, how would I respond and how would I react? Neither of us were, you know, gun owners. And we're like, uh, what's the move here? And so I was talking about my father-in-law who had had a had a had a play, um, what my dad had, which is very different than my father-in-law. And we're like talking through this, and Tony just goes, "I got a machete." <laughs> I It's like cool. He's like is that a thing? It's like oh yeah, that's a thing. Like I didn't know that was a thing. That's a that's a strong move. That's like not knocking someone out. That is like you're gonna do some damage. It's like gun machete, you know? <clears throat> and then he told me that actually this wasn't just a Tony Jean-Baptiste thing. This was a Jean-Baptiste thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's like a family thing. And he's like, yeah, it's a family thing, but it's more than a family thing. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, it's a Haitian thing. <laughs> now, Tony was not saying that every Haitian that he knows has a machete, but he sort of was implying like, if you were to pull the crowd, you're gonna get a majority of folks got a machete. So his brother, Sam, who many of you may have also met, Sam plays keys over here, married to the um, esteemed Sydney. And um, Sam uh, was getting married. And I, oh, you know what? I forgot to send you this picture. So we were going to the wedding shower, right? (coughs) Excuse me. I'm really battling sickness today. Um, And we're going to the wedding shower. And I'm trying to think of what to get them as a gift. And so I reach out. Tony. And I'm like, is this, you think this is okay? You know, and you're waiting a little bit into like cultural stereotypes. And like, here I am, like trying to like be funny. Is this going to land? So I go ahead and go to Home Depot. I didn't know where else. There wasn't like a machete store down the street. And so I go, <laughs> machetes are us. Anyway, so I go to the machete store. I go to Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever, grab the machete. I didn't want to open it and have him open it in front of anybody because I, I don't know why I was a little insecure about how this was all going to land. You can imagine how I might be a little concerned how it's all going to land. So I pull him aside. Did I pull you aside too, Sydney, or was it just? No, I did not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Sid didn't get the invite. So Sam and I are over in the corner. I think Tony might have come too. I can't remember. And we opened, I had him open it up. And I, I just remember you starting to laugh. And like I connected the dots, he's like, no, 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 this is awesome, this is awesome. And then a little while later, your dad, if I'm remembering this correctly, your dad came in and came over. And I just felt like, oh, I'm going to tell, I'm going to see if like I've honored, you know, you know, the the man of the house here. And I share with him, you know, with his dad that I bought him a machete. And the dude, what's your dad's name again? Uh, Errol. Errol, he just dies laughing like falls over laughing. And he just looks at me and he's like, that's good. That's good. Like I had like helped something important in the family be passed down. Anyway, I go back to those conversations with Tony and I about, so now you know what to get your friends when they, you are. I go back to those conversations because it was like, actually, I remember it was a funny conversation, but it was fairly poignant. Like this is a reality, Like my dear father loves to say, it's not heaven yet. Why do you lock your doors? It's not heaven yet, right? Why do you put a seatbelt That's not heaven yet. Why do you have a baseball bat or a machete underneath your bed? It's not heaven yet, right? And so I'm like, just thinking about that and how my fear did not increase upon getting like married or having a family. I'm not actually a fearful person. At least I don't think that's how people would describe me. If anything, the descriptions of me usually be I'm a little too carefree. I have this sort of sense that everything will just work out, like whatever. But after that conversation and as I was entering into the beginning of a new stage of life, I went home and I got this little bat, not like a big bat. She could wield my little one a lot faster. I'm gonna stop now. This is the picture that we're given, not of fear, but of an acknowledgement that there are threats, that it's not heaven yet that there's brokenness in the world, that people choose death again and again and again instead of life. Be alert then, pay attention. Why do we get a security system? Well, if in the middle of the night, all of a sudden there's an intruder alert, I grab my bat. Be alert, pay attention, be on guard, be vigilant. Because if you're not conscious, if you're not sober, if you're not alert, what will happen? And there's so many things, right, we could talk about, and we're going to get into a few of those this month. Be on guard, Jesus says, against all kinds of greed. We're going to talk a little bit about money. Being on guard as it relates to your relationships and your marriage and your community, to name a few. But today, I'd simply like to set the stage for all of this Kind of continue on our sermon last week on confession. If you're not consciously remaining sober and alert and on your guard, you will be careless and flippant with the things that matter most. And the thing that matters most is what? Let's just say your life. You will be careless and flippant with the life that you're leading. And why do I think this will happen? Well, it's because it's everything. It is the direction that everything in our society is moving towards. Our society is drawn in by outrage. Our society is drawn in by the trivial and the sensational. In so many ways, we're just acting like puppets, seduced by the forces that our society puts out there. Everything is pushing us towards sort of wasting our life. Next slide. I don't know how many of you uh, saw this article about social media addiction. Uh, the addiction of social media is not an accident. There is basically a demon running the algorithm. <laughs> I'm like joking, not joking. <laughs> this is basically what the article says, by the way. You can go and read this. There is an algorithm. Last week, uh, I went on Instagram to see a story about a man. Uh, I didn't go on to see this. I went on Instagram and found myself suddenly reading a story about a man who got drunk Amputated a body part of his friend and fed it to a dog. Leave it at that. This was followed by a story of a hundred year old woman who had never seen the ocean before. And then eight ways that I can totally know that I'm a 90s kid. And then it was 11 steps to make me be a smarter, sharper shopper. This is life now. One. Constant, never ending stream of non sequiturs and self referential garbage that passes in through our eyes and out of our brains at the speed of a touch screen. You remember a few years back when Kim Kardashian broke the internet? I remember this. Don't look it up. And by broke the internet, I mean she photoshopped a picture of her backside and put it on a magazine cover and called that femininity. Separate sermon. The media brought out all the obligatory screens about how lewd and classless the pictures were. People then complained that the media were giving this woman too much like junk. Then there were others that came back and the only reason she's famous is because she was born rich and had certain videos leaked and way too much airtime. By the way, Kim, if you're here, we love you. Just using this as an example. Truly, this isn't about her so much as it is the system that surrounds her. Then people pointed out, again, all the criticizing and the publicity of her and the way that all of this nonsense gives her more fame, more cultural presence. And being the internet, half the people were berated, half the people were celebrated who were critiquing. And then it always wraps up how? Memes are made. Everyone LOLs them and then the moment goes on. And this is why she, again, is still famous. One writer said this about the whole ordeal. Sorry, Kardashian... Has come to represent pretty much everything we loathe about the social media age. Bite-sized, meaningless content that you hate looking at, but for some reason can't look away from. And because nobody has the self-control to look away, the bite-sized, meaningless content spreads like wildfire, creating an online experience of a never-ending series of cultural car wrecks where we all gawk, rubberneck, discuss, and or make fun of something for 12 minutes until distracted by the next oncoming collision. It's pretty good, right? The algorithm is designed to take your attention. We live, in fact, in an attention economy. One of the books I've referenced before is called Attention Merchants by Tim Wu. (coughs) Tim Wu uh, says this, for how we spend the brutally limited resource of our attention will determine those lives to a degree most of us may prefer not to think about. As William James observed, we must reflect that when we reach the end of our days, our life experience will equal what we have paid attention to. Whether by choice or by default, we are at risk without quite fully realizing it of living lives that are less our own than we imagine. Every once in a while, there's still some people that think that we exaggerate the stuff around the algorithm think the media is blowing this out of proportion. Let's go and talk to um, Pastor Sarah for a moment about her thoughts on what media is doing to our children and then come back to me and apologize. (laughs) Society will continue to tell you what's important to think about. This is what's getting served up to us. Finally, Tim Wu says this in his book. When an online service is free enter every single social media outlet you're not the customer you are the product you're the product it's your attention your attention that they're selling to people this is why in hebrews 2 we're warned we must pay the most careful attention therefore to what we have heard so that we don't what drift away pay attention be careful be alert be on your guard Peter, Paul, and Jesus, I think they would tell us if they were here sitting in front of us, you live in a culture where everything is so flippant and so sensationalized and addictive that I want to call you, Sanctuary Church, in 2024 to a new level of alertness to what is actually happening. I want to humbly submit with no like hype or exaggeration everything I'm about to say from this point on or maybe everything I've already said is straight up warfare. It just is, man. There's a war. It's okay to name it. This is the language that is being used by secular sociologists who are studying this. There's a war for your attention. We as followers of Jesus have had this warfare language from the beginning. Pay attention, be on guard, ward it off. It's not about fear. It's about recognizing the enemy so you can protect the things that are most important. There's a passage I didn't mention at the beginning there in 1 Peter 4. The end of all things is near is the verse that goes before it. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind. He says "It's that the end of all things is at hand. There is a day of judgment coming and you will have to give an account for your life. So live in light of that day. This is what we were talking about last week. Keep the end in mind. Let it shape your decisions and let it shape your thinking. May the day that you meet Jesus and give an account for the life that you were given, may it inform your decisions on Super Bowl Sunday and this February and the rest of your life. Yeah, I'm not gonna make it through this sermon. Appreciate any prayers you have. I literally can't talk. Victor Frankl, he has this thing called logotherapy. Anyone ever heard of this? This is basically about seeing consequence in your life. <laughs> Here's what it is. Have you ever had a day that you wish you could get back again? Would you raise your hand? Anyone ever have a day they wish they could get back again? (coughs) Thank you. (laughs) 45 cough drops. You ever had a day you wish you could get back again? Have you ever had one of those days where you wake up and your goal is to literally be the incarnate person of Jesus? You're like, I'm going to crush this day with such sweet love of God. And then you run into somebody like at a stoplight and they're being a Rhode Island driver. And you find yourself saying words that you wish you could take back and you're losing your witness. You've just been angry. Or maybe you come home and you randomly start reading the comments in a YouTube section or an Instagram section, which by the way, is where the devil lives these days. And you start getting into some weird DM fight with somebody. I don't know, like honestly, at the end of the day, you just like, I want it back, I want it all back. Victor Frankl has this teaching where he says, at the start of your day, you should imagine your day. Imagine it. Imagine how it's going to play out and see where you could possibly go wrong. And then live it the first time as if it was actually the second time you were living it and you weren't making those mistakes. Now, it's not bad, right? Not bad. Victor Frankl, man in search of meaning, you should read it. Far be it for me to critique Victor Frankl. But I was thinking, there's got to be an even better way than that. And I think it's this, live each day as if Jesus is going to sit with you one-on-one and talk through your day before you live it. In 1 Corinthians 3, this is one of the great motivations. It says, for all of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And our lives, hear this, your life, the collection of your body of work, your human experience, You're going to sit with Jesus and he's going to say, Can we just talk through the precious gift of life that I gave you? Can we just talk through it? This is the imagery in 1 Corinthians 3. You got to give an account for it. There are going to be some things, we're told, that are burned up, trivial and meaningless things. And then there's going to be some things, however, this works out in the mystery of God that are powerful and beautiful and that are going to go on forever. And that's going to be the basis for some sort of eternal reward. This is not judgment for salvation. There's no judgment if you're in Christ, but this is a judgment for rewards about what is going to carry you into eternity. This is the day, Paul says, if you fix your mind on this, it will cause you to be a bit more alert. And part of the challenge right now is that idea for most of us who are younger in the room, especially that seems so irrelevant, like not even real. Everything feels so urgent and immediate. And yet we are being invited to live a better way in the world. How many of you have seen Schindler's List? If you haven't, I highly encourage you to watch it. Schindler's List starts basically where this, this man, Schindler, <laughs> having all these sort of parties. He's in, enjoying the, um, the goodness of being wealthy and climbing the ranks of the third, right? High-end brandy and cigars and partying and just trying to position himself well. And then he's sort of, over the course of time, becomes conflicted. He has sort of an ethical vision of like the life he's supposed to be living and begins to discover what's really going on within Nazi Germany. And so, long story, but he begins to rescue these Jewish people by leveraging his finances and bribing uh, guards and officials and creating sort of a fake concentration camp. Um, He ends up rescuing 1,100 Jews from the concentration camps. The war is about to end. He's still very much in danger though, right? The the war's over, but he's about to leave. He's gonna run and surrender to the allied troops um, to get out of there so he's not killed as the German army is running. And then there's a scene at the end, if you remember, where all the factory workers are there and they've gathered around to say thank you. Most of the 1,100 Jewish people that he has saved by leveraging his resources are right there I want you to see this clip then from this point. One more person. He's having this moment of reflecting back. Reflecting back on his life. He's taking stock. This pin, this car held onto this. There was so much more. They literally have to console him and say, no, you did so much, you did so much. What's he doing? He's like running the clock back. He's having this moment of going, oh my goodness, there were places I was not paying attention. You can hear Peter in the background, don't squander it. Over and over Peter, It says, don't squander your relationships. Don't squander the season of singleness you're in. Don't squander your marriage. Don't squander your retirement. Don't squander, like you get one life and God has gifted you and he has blessed you and he has placed you on the stage of history to live now. So stay alert. Be on your guard. Don't get sucked in. Be a sober mind for the end of all things is at hand. Maybe you feel right now um, sort of like Schindler at the start of, again, if you remember this movie, at the start of this movie as he's beginning to rise in power. And see so the writers of the scripture and Jesus himself is trying to save us. When you keep that end scene in mind, it will begin to shift how you live now. He wants us to flourish and to protect the things that are best. To protect the things that are best. All this reminds me of hearing um, David Platt talk about the secret church. He's a pastor. He makes a lot of trips to areas of the world where the Bible is illegal. There are still so many people who have not been exposed to the scriptures. And so there are these... um, Secret house churches that he will go on these trips. He'll travel overseas to various places, not allowed to tell people where he's going. He'll come back with these stories, spending eight to 12 hours with mostly young men and women who are just hungry for the Bible. Here's this great story where he gives the background to this one book that they're studying. I think it was Nehemiah. And they're like, we've never heard any of this, any of this background, historical context. We literally just got a copy of Nehemiah. Could you do this for the whole Old Testament? He only had one more day there. And so it was something like 18 hours straight of just giving the backdrop to these passages and to these books. There was this deep hunger and ache there, there was a risk. Imagine he describes that there's um, folks that wait in their village until everyone's asleep and then slip out under the cover of darkness wearing like long dark pants and a hoodie up over their face and they get in their car and they drive away, and they turn the light off and they wait and they get out again and sneak into a house and gather in a basement or gather in a small corner of a house and begin to just study the scripture and pray together and pour themselves out for the Lord to learn and grow. They're so hungry to listen to God. Are we hungry like that? Do we have a hunger for the things that matter most? To come into the prayer room, to listen to God, to spend the first moments of our day and the last moments of our day in the scriptures? Because most of us, we go, how on earth could we do that? We've been talking a lot about our way of life, these practices that we want to do. And a lot of us are like, That's just, it's just too much. Even when I sort of stack them, it's just so much. You have no idea the hurry and the busyness of our life. The idea of turning in prayer into the scriptures throughout my day, morning, noon, and night. And I just think, can you imagine having something you look at from the first moment in the morning all throughout the day and night something that you continue to look down at at the first, first, first thing of the day, periodically throughout the day, and at the very, very end of the night before you go to bed. Can you imagine anything like that, right? Of course we can. Of course we can. I think I, I have mine. Oh, it's over there. Our phone. Imagine something that would grab our attention from the first moments of the day and would vie for our attention all throughout the day. The average American looks at the phone approximately 100 times a day. That's five and a half hours a day. That's roughly every 10 minutes. And that screen doesn't give us life and it is vying for our attention. What would happen if we became a church that was so infatuated with the Lord, so driven to explore the word and prayer? to push away and guard against the way our attention is being hijacked, I humbly submit it would change the complexity of your life and of the world around you. Be on your guard. Watch your life, as Paul says. Pay careful attention. Be vigilant. A continuous state of readiness to keep on the lookout, to guard against, to think about what you're thinking about, to pay attention to what you are letting in and what you've already let in. One writer says, stand at the door of your heart and watch carefully everything that enters and goes from there. Proverbs says, guard it. Guard your heart. Look, the heart and the mind of each one of us is like a house and it needs to be protected. We defend our homes, we lock our car doors, we install security systems. Do we do the same for our heart? See, when we're, when we're focused in on the beauty of God and life with him and his word, When we we pray, God, would you give me a fresh revelation of the worth of who you are? When the value increases, we know the value of the possession. You know how much you value something. It's seen in the intensity of the way you pursue it. And I would submit in the way that you guard it against things that want to rob you of it. How could I be in the word throughout the day? How could it be attentive to God? That's a lot. You know how busy and hurried I am? You already, or most of us, do it all day. So our house is a home. I can invite the band up. Thinking of our house as a home, I think this is important because most of us, if we care enough about the people that we live with or even our own safety, are a bit vigilant in protecting our house. A vigilant person, hear this, actively pays attention to what is vying for their attention and what gives and what gets into their heart and mind. Vigilance requires action. Vigilance doesn't need any fear, vigilance requires action. It's a reminder that there is a very real threat to your life and a very real threat to your ministry, and a very real threat to your growth, and your peace, and your joy around every corner. Not fear, but sober-mindedness. And so constant attention is necessary. Imagine you're at home, and you just see a person like, like, like walk behind you. I'm gonna trigger some latent fear here, right? You're just like, you're washing dishes and you like, you know, like out of your like side, like side eye, you just, you, you see someone walk by you. You might ask some questions, right? You grab that knife, <laughs> it's in the sink, right? You're just sitting watching television and all of a sudden like random dude just comes and sits on the chair next to you, right? This doesn't happen. You're not gonna stay calm, you're going to ask, who are you? Who lets you in? Where did you come from? This is the image I want you to have in your mind for a moment. Your heart, your mind as a home. If you're up for it for a minute, would you close your eyes? Just for a second. Ask your heart and mind Whatever that looks like for you. Literally ask yourself, ask your soul. David talks to his soul all the time in the Psalms. What's happening here? Am I guarding my heart? Ask yourself, what's in there? Jealousy, warped intentions, a bunch of images that dishonor the image of God and others. A lot of pride or selfishness or judgment. What's in there? What's happening in there? The verse I love, it is such a helpful examine for me. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true. Are there true things in there? Whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure. Man, so many of us in the name of freedom allow so many things that are just not pure into our heart. They're just not pure, they're fine. They're not a big deal. It like dominates our thinking. It's not just that it's bad or good. It's just like, it's actually taking our attention away from that which matters most. Is there anything that's not excellent and not praiseworthy, not admirable? What am I thinking about? Paul and Philippians is saying, think about those things. That's how you. That's where the piece is. Can you identify when you might have opened the door to some of those things? Take a minute. Where did I open the door to that? Lean in. Ask yourself that question. When did I open the door to that thing? I know is there. Where did it come in? How did it get in there? Yeah, you can open your eyes. This is, this is a, a really simple and old practice with some other contours to it. This is called an examine, an examination of your conscience. It's been around the church from the very beginning. Paul says, in coming to the communion table, examine yourself Be alert. Be sober-minded. Don't be distracted. Be alert. Be on guard. See, if you aren't aware of who or what you let into your heart, your heart ceases to become a home and becomes a town square. In your house, you pretty much know who's supposed to be in there and who's not. You walk into Kennedy Plaza, you walk down Thayer Street, You walk into the town square, you have no idea who's coming and going. To see your heart as a home, to see your mind as a home. See, when we aren't vigilant and paying attention to what's coming in, one of the first things that begins to suffer is intimacy with God. It's really hard to hear the voice of God. Think of it this way, without proper vigilance, the spirit ends up in a corner, like locking him in a closet. We we, we crowd out the voice of God. Be vigilant, be vigilant, pay attention to your heart. We have to have practices in our life where we, we become aware of what's happening, which leads us back to the practice of this month, Confession. There's a reason why we made this one of the key practices in our way of life, in our path. It helps us be sober-minded and acknowledge what's in there. And then I got to thinking of it, all the ones, especially in that inwards direction, learning to be made whole by Jesus off it. Sabbath, to slow down and stop for one day, to put your phone away for just one day, to be ultra-attentive just for one day. The thing that Jesus did, the thing that's in the Ten Commandments, shut it down, and remember that the world will keep spinning even if you stop. What will happen if you begin week over week over week to stop? You're going to be really attentive to what's going on. I told this story before. The first time I started to take Sabbath seriously, I realized I had a backache Cause probably for the last like two years I had been running just on straight adrenaline and never stopped. And suddenly, you know, when you stop long enough to go, I have a back problem. I am sick. I am distracted. I don't know how to sit with my kids for more than five minutes at a time. I don't know how to play anymore. I don't know how to take a deep breath and remember why I was made. I don't even have time, Andrew, to do anything you're talking about and stopping and like having some mystical moment where I take inventory of what's going on. It's just like called journaling. Like take a minute. Sabbath will help us do this. Fasting is the other practice in our inward direction. Helps us be alert. I don't know about you, but there's been so many stories from this last month of fasting that have led people to come to me, I'm sure to many of you, and come, Andrew, I have never had like a day where I was more attentive to the things of God than when I decided to actually fast for a whole day. I cannot wait to share some of these stories with you. All of these practices that are already here before us, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we just have these shared practices that we do as followers of Jesus, a way of life so at the end of every day, I wanna encourage you in the silence of your, of your uh, last few moments, ask yourself, what's happened in my heart today? What's occurred? What things have passed through my mind? To be, as the saints often say, in silence before oneself and in silence before our God. Friends, God has given you everything you need to be attentive, to be vigilant, to be on your guard. He has, don't neglect his gifts. Don't neglect his practices and don't neglect the spirit that lives inside you that wants to speak and lead and move us into greater joy and peace. Don't, don't act like you don't know where the love is, be on your guard against the things that want to rob your attention. You see, God throughout the scriptures is simply saying, trust me, trust my way. Trust that I hold the words of eternal life. Call on me, let me be your shield. Let me be your strength. Let's begin the journey towards Home Depot to pick up the machete. And no, that didn't work. Would you pray with me, Holy Spirit? I think, in some way, Lord, we just kind of intuitively know all this stuff. Lord, help us to put it into practice. Help us to trust you. First and foremost, Lord, to trust that you are worth, like worthy of it all, like we sang, worthy of every minute of our day. You are worthy, Lord, and we don't want these lesser loves. Can I just say, church, I just, I felt like the Lord just immediately just like spoke to me just now, like... So I just humbly put this out there. I feel like the Lord is saying, Andrew, you have no idea. You have no idea how much untapped potential there is in this room right now. I promise you, that's not scripted. It's like like a lot of us have buried things. A lot of us are distracting ourselves like to death, to sleep, as the Bible says. Wake up. Wake up is the call, not of Pastor Andrew, but of the Bible again and again. Wake up, be alert. There is so much joy and peace and possibility on the horizon. Wake up. Wake up, I wanna wake up. I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you. To all y'all who know you've just kind of like sidelined the spirit in your heart to the corner of the room. <laughs> spirit, God does not push himself on us. We do this. We choose death. We let these things in. I just, I pray that you would just experience such grace and love in this moment and like fresh wind for a fresh start. For anyone feeling any bit of conviction, like I can do that five minutes before I go to bed just like open that journal up, pay attention. First thing in the morning. I've been thinking about Sabbathing for so long. I've been talking about Sabbathing. I've done Bible studies on Sabbathing. I've learned all the ins and outs about Sabbathing. I still don't know how to shut it down. I just pray just grace and courage to Sabbath as you can, not as you can and begin that journey this morning. To unhurry your life, to pay attention to the goodness that God's given you and thus pay attention to the threats that are vying for you, that are coming for you. And without fear, without unholy fear, but with holy fear, may we stand church. May we stand against the things that wanna tear our marriages apart. May we stand against the things that wanna move us towards greed and not towards generosity. You steer us, Lord, towards boundaries that lead to compassion, not boundaries that lead us to disconnection. Amen. Guard this church, Lord. We trust you, Lord. We trust you. We trust you. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? You are here and a follower of Jesus. I just invite you to lean in with all you have. I don't know if you know this song or not. you can just pray it if you don't know it. This just takes an old hymn. It's been around forever. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. It begins with a confidence that God is here and with us and for us, and then moves into a place of a declaration, saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you, I trust you, I trust you." so let us lift our voices and let us lift our prayers together. Amen? Let's pray. Let's sing. Alex and Nina Lee.